Anyone in our church in the hospital, we have a number of people recovering from various things, and um, let's pray together for our food. Father, we're thankful for these people that are recovering. We're thankful for people that we've prayed for, that you've made dramatic changes for good in their lives. We are very grateful, and we pray for people that are anticipating procedures and health needs and uh, the delivery of babies. There's the full gamut of human life, Father, that we are all attached to. And in every sphere, there is the need of your sovereign power to bring good so that we all might have hope and future. And so we ask your blessing on these that are attached to our lives and to our own lives. And again, we thank you for this food, and we pray that you would uh, open our eyes as we look at your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. We're looking at the aspect of the Apostles' Creed where it says, I believe in the Holy Ghost. And so in John chapter 14, Jesus is writing, having already used the language that he was going away in the opening verses. And in verse 15, he says, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I'll come to you. Yet a little while, and the world will see me no more. But you will see me because I live, you will also live. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, and you in me, and I in you. Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words, and the word that you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I'm going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk with much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. Well, Jesus is telling us about his departure. 
he's going to leave this world and he's going to leave the disciples, the band that he has nurtured. And so he is telling them that he is going to send the Holy Spirit to them. And this promise that was to them is a promise that is to us as well. As we come to believe, we find that the Holy Spirit is working in us. So when we use the creed on some regularity, we say that we believe in the Holy Ghost, as we used to say, or as we say now, the Holy Spirit. Now, What the creed is leading us to do is a couple of different things. One of the things it's leading us to do is the way the creed is structured. It's leading us to make a full confession of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. So that when we begin the creed, we're saying, I believe in God the Father Almighty. Then I believe in Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, And now here, I believe in the Holy Ghost or the Holy Spirit. So we're making a confession that we believe what the scripture teaches is that as the Father is God and as Jesus is God, so too we believe that the Holy Spirit is God. That's what we're saying in the creed. Now we also confess this when we say, I believe in the Holy Ghost. I just want you to think of it this way because it's really important that you grasp this concept. When we say this, if we say this with our mind and we say this with our heart, we're saying that we are going to submit ourselves to the leading of the Holy Spirit. We're not merely saying that we intellectually believe these things from the Scripture to be true, But we're confessing that we're going to be a people that are going to be willingly, joyfully led by the Holy Spirit in every dimension of our life. When we say this, this is what we should understand that we are saying. We mean this, the Holy Spirit is going to lead us. Now when we think of this, the first thing that we look at is this business of the divinity of the Holy Spirit. We talk about the Holy Spirit, we talk about the Trinity. And so when we talk about the Trinity, we get into probably the most profound ground that we come to in Christian theology, because we believe that God is three in one. We don't believe in three gods, we believe in one God, but we believe that one God is in three persons, the person of the Father, the person of the Son, and the person of the Holy Spirit. If it were three gods, we would be into tritheism, and that's certainly something we don't believe, that there are three gods. The other thing that we don't believe in is modes of God. By modes of God, it means that God is one thing and then another thing and then something else. All through the history of uh, Christian theistic thought has been how to illustrate. Pastors are always looking for illustrations. Well, people have tried to illustrate the Trinity, and you'll see things that are showing uh, intersecting spheres in which the spheres perfectly intersect with one another so that there's an aspect of all three spheres that are in together, and then there's aspects of the three spheres that are separate, and 
Maybe if it helps you, that's fine. Just don't build your life around it. You had people that were trying years ago to think, well, we have things that are kind of concrete that we could use. Just think of, of ice. You know, we've seen a lot of ice, more ice than I care to see in this part of Georgia, even in the wintertime. Uh, I, I was talking to some people from Chicago this morning, and they've seen a whole lot more ice than they care to see, too. But you see ice. Well, then you say, well, ice can become water. Well, then water can become steam. And so some people have said H2O is a good representation of the Trinity. Well, that's really false because you can't have steam being ice and water or water at the same time being steam and ice and vice versa. So you only have one thing showing itself in three different modes but not at the same time. When we talk about the Trinity, God always exists as a Trinity. He's one God, and he always exists in the three persons. Now, I don't want to get into a great degree of detail here, but our confession of faith and catechisms have used this language, that there are three persons in the Godhead, the same in substance, equal in power and glory. And our catechisms and confessions are confessing the full equality of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is being God. Now, when we talk about the work of the Holy Spirit, people use the term as the executive of the Trinity or the agent of the Trinity. Um, I think that we would have to really kind of use our heads to, to think in that manner. Um, but when we think about the nature of the Trinity, it is more to the effect that we, we recognize what the Trinity is doing from the invisible but direct work of the Holy Spirit. And what I mean by that is, in the beginning, we see that God created the heavens and the earth. Now, how did he create them? Well, he created them through the sun. So the sun is the direct agent in bringing the world into existence. But it is the Holy Spirit that we're told that shaped the creation. So it says in that the Holy Spirit was hovering over the waters in Genesis 1, verse 2. Uh, then from 1, verse 2, it begins to talk about what that hovering means. So God said, let there be light, and there was light. And God saw that the light was good, and there was one day. There was evening, and there was morning, and there was one day, and so on, until the end of the sixth day when God created man, and then everything was declared very good. Well, the shaping from the raw to the refined is the work of the Holy Spirit. Now, that Holy Spirit has been involved in not only the creation of the world, but the sustaining of the world, and will be involved in the consummation of the world. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. So you don't see the work of the Holy Spirit, but you are always, even our unbelieving friends, are always feeling the work of the Holy Spirit all around us all the time. Now, 
when we think of the beginning of Jesus Christ, we begin to see how was he conceived in the womb of the Virgin Mary. Well, it says the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the shadow of the Most High will come upon you. And that child that will be born of you will be called Holy, the Son of God. And the Holy Spirit now is beginning the new creation in the creation of the one new man, Jesus Christ. So we see this aspect of the work of the Holy Spirit from taking and perfecting creation now to the creation of Christ. Now as we look at the life of Christ, he is the man of the Spirit. He is the man who both is possessed by the Spirit and fully possesses the Spirit at the same time. And what we see is that at the baptism of Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes upon him as he moves out into his ministry. It says, full of the Holy Spirit, he was driven by the Holy Spirit out into the wilderness to face the temptations with Satan. And then it's the Holy Spirit that is sustaining Jesus. It is the Holy Spirit that is working in all of the miracles of Jesus to reveal the person of Jesus to the people of the time of Jesus' lifetime. Now, you remember when Jesus was performing all these miracles and all of these people were following him, that there were people who came against Jesus. Now, you think, well, here they are. They're coming against Jesus. And they say of Jesus, he cast out these demons by the power of whom? Remember? Beelzebul. Well, now it sounds like they're coming against Jesus. That's not the way Jesus saw it. Jesus saw it that they were coming against the Holy Spirit. So they said, all sins will be forgiven men, but blasphemy against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven in this life or in the life to come. So when you begin to look at the life of Jesus, that you see every aspect of what Jesus is done doing is done under the leadership, the power, the authority of the working of the Holy Spirit in everything that he says, thinks, or does. So his entire life is a life possessed by the Holy Spirit, and he is possessing the Holy Spirit in the same way. Now, when we say possessing the Holy Spirit, it is a supreme thing at the very beginning, but it is also a thing that is progressive in the sense that he learned obedience through the things that he suffered. So the temptations that he went through, the Holy Spirit was with him and gave him the power at every point in time to do his Father's holy will. And so you come to the very end of his life, and you see that he is being led by the Holy Spirit into the Garden of Gethsemane, and he's going through all of these trials in total reliance upon the gifts and the grace of the Holy Spirit to sustain him. Now, once in the grave, his soul immediately goes into the presence of the Father, 
And that soul is a human soul attached to the divine nature, the person of the Son of God, but that soul is also possessing the Holy Spirit as he goes into the presence of God, the human nature of Christ in the presence of the Heavenly Father after the resurrection is a soul and a life that is possessed by the Holy Spirit. Now, what you see in Romans chapter 1 verse 4, which speaks about the resurrection of the Christ, it says that he was raised by the power of the Holy Spirit. So now life is recreated in the new body of Christ Jesus, which is a body that is going to be like the bodies that we're going to possess, a life of spirit, a life of power, a life that is beyond any temptation or any corruption, a life that has and possesses immortality of life and is fit for a heavenly service. That was the kind of resurrection that Christ experienced, and it's to serve us as a model of our thinking of the kind of resurrection that we will possess. Now, when we think about the Holy Spirit being a person, as Jesus said, the Holy Spirit, as a person, may be blasphemed. Now, you can tell me off. Now, I'm looking around here. I think there's been a few that are, would be, yeah, a couple of you have told me pretty plainly from time to time what you think. Maybe something that I said or did. Rightfully so, I might add. I will be guilty of those things until the day I leave this world. I will never be without reason for correction. Some more harsh and direct than others. But we constantly nurture ourselves like that. I have corrected many of you. But I would not think that any of you would say that you blasphemed me. Can you understand? To blaspheme me would be to put me in a position of being God. You can't blaspheme against me. You might be creating blasphemy when you were to tell me off, and certainly none of you have ever been guilty of that. But you see, when it says that the Holy Spirit can be blasphemed, the only person that can be blasphemed is God. So Jesus is making in this sentence uh, a statement about the deity of Christ. You realize that the Holy Spirit, we're told, can be sinned against. Now, I, I can sin against you, but not in the same sense that I can sin against the Holy Spirit. You can sin against me, but very differently than the way that you could sin against the Holy Spirit. To sin against the Holy Spirit, again, is to sin against God. And then, too, to be grieving. You know, people grieve. I would say I think I've seen animals grieve. But the sense here is that you can grieve the Holy Spirit. We need to be careful in our lives and in our thinkings and our words not to grieve the Holy Spirit. But when we see these things about the Holy Spirit, we see that he is a person and a divine person. Now, when we talk about the Spirit's uniqueness, in the passage we've read from John 14, you see that the Holy Spirit is sent. 
Okay, the Son is the only begotten. The Spirit, we're not told, is begotten, but we're told that the Spirit is sent. The Spirit is sent as an agent. He's an agent of the Father's. He is sent by Christ. He is an agent of the Son. So this is the uniqueness, is the sending of the Spirit by the Father and the Son. Now, when the Holy Spirit is sent, what is it that he's about? Well, principally, the Holy Spirit's work in your life is to glorify the person of Jesus in the world and in our lives. So when we look for the power of the Spirit in our lives... We should not be looking and thinking that the power of the Spirit in my life is going to set me apart as something unique. Now, I grew up in the, in the Christian experience in the early 70s and through the 80s when all across the United States there was a charismatic movement. There was a Pentecostal movement. And there much of it was good But there were always in the Pentecostal movement people who were trying to say that because something about the way the Holy Spirit worked, it made them special. That was an error. The Holy Spirit does not come into any one of our lives or any person's life to make us special, maybe to make us useful, but not special. But the Holy Spirit is always about the business of making the Lord Jesus Christ special. Exalting Christ is the principal work of the Holy Spirit. He is sent for that reason. Jesus tells us this in this passage. He will glorify me. So when we think of the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives... It would not be that we would be glorified, but that something that we would be doing under the power of the Holy Spirit would be recognized as bringing honor and glory and praise to the person of Christ, the Holy Spirit working through us. Well, a week ago, Monday, um, we had a tragedy within one of the families in our church, and I went with this lady in her church, and we had to do a couple things that were pretty awful. And in accompanying her, there were some things that she had to face that you wouldn't want to face. And in the midst of me being with her, I made certain comments to her of a Christian nature about what we were doing. And at one particular point, one of the most awful points in that time, in she was shocked by what she was seeing. And I made a comment that related to what she was seeing, to what she should think about Jesus. And she said to me, you always seem to know just what to say. I have been told differently. (laughs) I have been told differently. (laughs) Now, 
I hope you can relate to that. What was happening that she was experiencing? Well, the Lord was giving me what? The words to say. Can you see that? It wasn't me. It was the Lord working in and through me. You have probably had similar situations where people have said that to you, and you have reflected on it and said, I'm not really sure how to respond to that. Because you know you, know you said it, or you know you did it, but you know down deep something was going on there that wasn't just of yourself. That's what we're talking about here. The Lord's Spirit comes into our lives to use us in the same way as agents of Jesus, as the agency of the Holy Spirit is working through us. I like this phrase. I heard it years ago from a Scottish minister at the Urbana Missions Conference, and he said it this way, all that Jesus has accomplished for us the Holy Spirit is in the, big, is in the business of accomplishing in us. Then he would say it this way. The Holy Spirit is always in the business of accomplishing in us everything that Jesus has accomplished for us. It's always the same. It's the Holy Spirit accomplishing things in us. The things of Jesus are the things that he's accomplishing in us. Now, when we think about the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, the Holy Spirit draws us to Jesus. I was raised in the Presbyterian Church from a diaper. But I walked away from the church in my late teens, and at about age 22... Things just deteriorated in my life. And at that time, something began to draw me back to the church of my childhood. Now, if you would have told the people that I was hanging out with at the big daddy lounge there in South Florida, John's heading to church, they would have thought, well, that's probably a different John that's heading to church. But that's what was happening. He was drawing me. Then it says that the Holy Spirit, and it uses a number of different metaphors, says he opens our eyes. He opens our heart. He opens our mind. Now when he's doing all of this, it's that we would be open to Jesus. And so there comes a point in time when the preparatory work is in us, we call this regeneration. You have effectual calling, then you have regeneration. You're given a new heart. And when you're given a new heart by the Holy Spirit, this generates within us love, affection, and faith towards the object of the person of Jesus Christ we begin to see that we have totally missed life by missing Christ. And then we come, and in faith, we embrace Christ Jesus. And we're told that when this happens, that 
that's at almost the same time that the Holy Spirit takes on another role and, as it were, seals us. Seals us as belonging to Jesus so that Jesus can say, you know, no one can ever snatch you out of my Father's hands. Underneath you are the everlasting arms. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. To Simon Peter, he says, when you're uh, reestablished, encourage your brethren. He knew that Peter was going to fall, but he seals us. We belong to Jesus. How's the song go? Now I be, yeah, not for this this is the time, but for all eternity. That's what we're saying. So he seals us. Now, after this whole business of beginning new life, there's a progression of life, progressive sanctification, so that what I was, I was no more, but what I was doing was in the process of changing. And so I was changing from being a a pretty vile sinner to progressively conducting my life like a follower of Christ. 2 Corinthians 5 tells us it's from one degree of glory to another. Uh, Philippians 1.6 says, He who began a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. We begin to understand the word of God. We begin to look at the inspiration of the scripture and we say, that's God's word. Now, we might have said it was a book. But after we become a Christian, we begin to say it's not merely a book, it's the word of God. We know God's inspired these words. And not only that, then the word of God is illuminated in our lives. And we begin to see application of it from in just every area. We just find that our lives are enlightened by the word of God. That's illumination. We remember the word of God. Sometimes we remember it in the times of correction. Sometimes we remember it in times of encouragement. Sometimes we remember it in times of need. But we find ourselves remembering the word of God. We apply the word of God in the application of the word of God in our lives. It leads us to say no to sin. It leads us to say yes to righteousness. It leads us to say no to self. It leads us to say yes to Jesus. And we begin to conduct ourselves as the followers of Christ. Um, People witness to Jesus. You know, I think you probably witness to Jesus more than you realize you witness to Jesus. It may not be a direct thing like evangelism explosion, but from time to time you are the witness of Jesus in your workplace, in your home, in your neighborhood, in your social settings. People know you, they look at you, And you may not ever say just a direct thing that would lead them to say, well, that was an EE presentation. But when the whole rest of the crowd's over here doing something they shouldn't be doing, and you just basically say something in the context of that that redirects the conversation, that's the witness of the Holy Spirit working in your life. You find that because of the work of the Holy Spirit that your love for Jesus grows progressively. It grows incrementally. It increases. You die to the world. You live for the world to come. Eventually, you come to a point where the Holy Spirit closes your eyes here and opens your eyes there. And again, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead 
by the power of the Spirit, will also give life to your mortal body. Now the last thing, we should pray for the Holy Spirit's ministry in our lives. We should not merely assume, but we should pray for and ask that it would be more evident that the Holy Spirit would help us to fight against sin. The Holy Spirit would help us more and more to do the Father's will, to be led by the Spirit, to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. A lot of people are looking at us. Do they say love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, meekness, and self-control? If they see these things, if they just see them, this is the witness of the Holy Spirit to Jesus in your life. You're witnessing by bearing the fruit of the Spirit. And then two, to live in the knowledge of the koinonia of the Spirit, that he is working in us, that we are working with him, that we are working together. And as we see this ever more and more, we're beginning to say things like, remember the song we used to sing in the 60s, we are one in the Spirit? We are one in the Spirit. Well, let's pray. Now, Father, bless